Welcome everybody today. My name is Adam, one of the pastors. Special welcome to guests, visitors. While you're getting seated there, go ahead and pull out your Bibles. We'll be getting in the Word here in a minute. Before I do anything though, I want to thank you for your prayers for our Myanmar team. Last Sunday, I asked you to pray for this team that we sent off to Myanmar last week and we've gotten amazing reports. I've got some pictures that I want to show you from Pastor Christopher, from his, from his Instagram account. There's no Poom, the pastor that we partner with there and look at the joy of Jesus all over his face. He's an amazing, amazing guy and the Lord is blessing him and the Lord blessed our team there. So the team was, it's a medical team. They provided medical support and some counsel to over 200 children and their families in Myanmar. Medical, uh, medical care is not the best in that country and so this was one way that we could be a blessing there. The team led a VBS where they shared the gospel with all of the children who are a part of Nopum's boarding school. And God just really blessed them. They fly home tomorrow and they've, they're safe. And so thank you so much for praying for them. Continue please to pray for the impact of the gospel there and just for our relationship with the ministry in Myanmar. It's a wonderful thing. Maybe we can give the Lord a round of applause too, just for all he's, he's doing there. It's so good. Today we're back into 1 John. Will you get your Bible out? I hope you're ready to be in the Word today. We're going to 1 John chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible or you forgot to bring your Bible, just raise your hand. Ushers are on their way down. You're going to want a Bible in front of you. We're making our way through this amazing little letter, and we're learning about love. Love is the theme of 1 John, the predominant theme We've titled our series, Because He Loves Us. And what we're learning is that everything about our Christian life ultimately is a response to the love of God. God's love is this great first cause of everything that we experience as Christians. And what's interesting this morning, the text we're going to look at, chapter 4, verses 1 to 6, the entire passage is devoted to a warning Sometimes, because God loves us, he warns us about things. John was very concerned about the churches that he wrote to. And one of the things that he was most concerned about, it's probably the main reason he wrote this letter, was there were these false teachers who had been disturbing the church, disturbing the peace, disturbing their understanding of the gospel and of the nature of Christ. And so John writes this letter and part of the purpose of the letter is to warn them. And in the passage we'll look at today, chapter four, verses one through six, pretty much the whole passage can be summed up quite simply. John says, hey, not everything that you hear is true. All right, we know that, right, River West? Not everything you hear is true. Not everything you read on the internet is true, right? My daughters try to convince me that BuzzFeed is a reliable news source. And I'm like, I, don't, I think the word buzz is a dead giveaway, all right? Not everything that you read is true. Not everything that you hear is true. Not everything you hear from supposedly credible sources is always true. Sometimes... A little skepticism can be a really good thing. 
right? In 2007, a sophisticated scientific study was submitted to the scientific journal called Applied Mathematics and Computation. And the title of that study was Cooperative Compact Algorithms for Randomized Algorithms. Here was the abstract. See if you can track with this. This article passed peer review, three layers of peer review, and was published, and the authors were invited to speak and present their study at a scientific conference. Here was the introduction. The development of congestion control has synthesized checksums, and current trends suggest that the exploration of scatter-gather I.O. will soon emerge. The notion that analysts connect with compilers is usually well-received. The notion that biologists collude with 802 2.11b is usually considered robust. However, simulated annealing alone cannot fulfill the need for the construction of 802.11b. Did you understand a word of that? I didn't. Do you know what? Not only is every sentence in that paper false, every sentence in that study was complete gibberish. It was created by an algorithm some MIT students had a suspicion that peer review was failing in the scientific community and stuff was being published that was not true. And so they created a scientific algorithm that puts together random sentences laced with computer jargon. It slaps on a graph or two, throws in some phony references, and voila, you have a scientific paper. And they submitted this to a scientific review, and it passed peer review, and it got published. In the last 10 years, they've discovered over 200 papers that are complete gibberish have made it into scientific periodicals. Not everything you read is true, right? Sometimes a little bit of skepticism is a good thing, especially when it comes to spiritual truth claims. Because when it comes to claims about spiritual reality, suddenly the stakes become a little bit higher. Bad theology hurts people. John knows this. And so he writes about it. Will you look at it with me? 1 John 4. We only have six verses, and we won't even begin to scratch the surface of this. So I'll read the whole thing, and then we'll break it up into pieces. Here's what John says. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. What a great statement. We'll come back to that at the end. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. 
Amazing little passage. Here's what John says. John says, not everyone who claims to be speaking on behalf of God actually does so. So don't believe everything you hear. That's what he says right there in verse one. Did you see it? Don't believe everything you hear. Just because a person, their teaching sounds spiritual does not always mean that it comes from the Holy Spirit. In John's day, things were a little bit more simple because the false teachers that John was dealing with had been in the church and then John says they went out of the church and they went out into the world. They were still out there and the church had to know about them, but they were no longer inside of the church community. But in our world with the advent of technology and with the internet, we are constantly inundated with all kinds of input and data and worldviews and messaging through blogs and podcasts and Instagram feeds and even books. Remember books, the ones you read, actually the stuff you read? We got those too, right? And we're constantly getting all of this messaging that comes in, and a lot of it is of a spiritual nature. It's people making spiritual claims, claims about ultimate reality, claims about the reality of God. And John says, just because something sounds spiritual does not always mean that the Holy Spirit is the one who's behind it. The Holy Spirit is not the only spirit who's active in our world. Sometimes a little bit of skepticism can be a really, really good thing. Amen? Amen? Today I'm going to give you a principle that is absolutely critical to your life. Every Christian must keep this principle in mind and keep it in the forefront of your mind throughout your entire Christian life. I'm going to put it on the screen. I think it's so important. Deception has always been the fundamental strategy of our spiritual enemy. Always been. From the very beginning. Go back to the garden. From the very beginning, it was deception that was the strategy. It's always been. It continues to be so. Deception is like the standard mode of operation for Satan. That's what he does. That's what he's about. I talk to people all the time who are scared of the devil. They're like, they're scared of the devil. They're like, the scared. The devil is out to harm me. The devil's out to spook me. The devil's out to physically do stuff to me. Did you know that actually? Satan is not all that interested in harming you physically. And he's actually not all that interested in spooking you because if he were to do some of those things, it would alert you to what his real objective is, which is to deceive people and to lure them away from the Christ of Scripture. Remember that. So important, so vital. When I was a young Christian, I read as much C.S. Lewis as I could get my hands on, <laughs> and I recommend it, right? But one of the oddest books I ever read was a book called The Screwtape Letters. Raise your hand if you've read this book, okay? Oh, yes, thank you. This is an amazing book, The Screwtape Letters. It's a series of letters that are written from one demon who's like a senior demon named Screwtape to his nephew 
whose name is Wormwood. These letters are fictional. You, you figured that out, right? They're fictional. But anyway, yeah, so it's, it's Screwtape writing to Wormwood. Screwtape is a senior demon. Wormwood is his nephew, and he's sort of like a JV demon. And Screwtape writes to him to give him tips and pointers of how to deceive the person that he's been assigned to. And the overriding message of the book is you don't really want him to know that you're there behind the scenes. Don't do anything that's too spooky or scary or, or too violent or too out of the ordinary. You kind of want to keep him thinking that there's not a whole lot going on in the spiritual realm, right? That's the key to deception. And that's why John says discernment is so important in the church. And not just John. Did you know Every single letter in the New Testament warns Christians to be discerning about false teachers. There's not a single book in the letter. Jesus talks about it. Paul talks about it. Peter talks about it. James, the letter to Jude, John, every single one of them. And that's why John, if you look, what he says in verse two is, test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Do you see that? Test the spirits. Put them to the test. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Okay, there's two things going on in that sentence that are absolutely critical. You have to see this. The first one is this. Look what John says about prophets. A prophet, according to John, someone who speaks or claims to speak spiritual truth, a prophet is always the mouthpiece for some spirit. Did you see that? John says, test the spirits for many false prophets have gone out into the world. And I think what John is doing here is he's saying, don't you realize that anytime anyone makes a big spiritual claim, there's a, there's a spirit behind that. There's an energizing spirit. Sometimes that spirit could be the Holy Spirit, the spirit of God, John talks about right there in verse two, but not always the spirit of God. Sometimes it's a spirit that's against God, a spirit of the Antichrist, John talks about. Sometimes those spirits are involved. I don't think that John is saying that every time someone is a false teacher, they're always possessed by a spirit because sometimes that word spirit in the Bible just is used to describe the motivating, the motivating impulse or the, the, the agenda that an that a individual teacher has. There are, there's a worldly values that can cause a person to want to teach things that are false. But John says, even that spirit can be used by the Antichrist to deceive people, to lead them away from Jesus. So discernment is so vital in the church. What should you do? Well, that's the second thing I want you to see about this verse. Some, John says, the kind of testing that I'm talking about here, do you see it in verse one? Test the spirits. John says, what I'm talking about here is a testing that requires diligence and sometimes it requires patience. It takes time. You gotta be diligent. You have to be focused. This word testing it means to put something to rigorous examination, to scrutinize it. You study it, you wait, you watch. You don't give it the benefit of the doubt. You listen closely, you listen patiently. 
It's the same word that John uses when he actually, or that Paul uses when he says, test yourself, test your own faith. Time will tell. Wait, be patient. The reason deception works is because it's not always immediately obvious that you're being deceived, right? If it was, you, wouldn't know, you would not be deceived anymore. You know, false teachers, they like to hang around the truth for a while. So they always start with a little bit of truth and they stick near the truth, but the problem is they always have a tendency to wander a little bit. And then, and then over time, more and more begins to be revealed about what they really believe. And before long, you start to realize that person has wandered really far away from biblical truth. And sometimes you just have to wait and be patient. I'm always surprised in the Christian community when anytime a new teacher or a new writer comes on the scene and they're super energetic and they're a gifted communicator and they're really, they're, they're really winsome and they're a great storyteller and sometimes the church will just swallow it without even chewing, right? I remember when the prayer of Jabez came out. Remember, I just dated myself big time, right? Remember the prayer of Jabez? So many people just were swallowing that book before they'd even chewed every bite. I was a Young Life area director in Eugene and a really well-meaning donor showed up to my office and he had bought 40 copies and he said, give this to every one of your Young Life leaders. And I, I did it because I didn't, I didn't even read the book. I was like, well, I trust this guy. So I gave the book out. And then about two weeks later, he released book number two, The Prayer of Jabez for Teens, right? And then he released The Prayer of Jabez for Single Moms. And then he released, and he just kept releasing books. And I was like, I think this guy's actually out to make some money, right? And sometimes it sounds really good at first, but then the more you listen and the more you read and the more you study, you start to realize, I'm not totally sure that this is all that orthodox. So slow down, wait, listen, be patient. Don't assume right away that what I'm hearing, this podcast, this, this blog, this other speaker, don't always assume immediately that what they're talking about is is truth, it might not be. Now, you're thinking, well, hey, pastor, does this apply to you? <laughs> like, should we be testing you? No. Yes, of course you should. <laughs> of course you should. Absolutely. Do you know what one of the greatest fears in my life? I have only two things that I'm actually afraid of in my life. One of them is I'm afraid someone would ever hurt one of my daughters. And the other thing that I'm afraid of is that in my ministry or in my preaching, I would ever teach or do anything that did not bring glory to Jesus Christ. So absolutely 100%, you should test everything you hear. But can I give you a piece of advice when you're doing it? Please do it with your Bible open and with your gaze fixed on Jesus Christ, the Christ of the scriptures. Amen? That's what John says next. We look at it, verse 2. He says, By this you know the Spirit of God. Here's the test. Do you want a barometer? Do you want a yardstick? Do you want a litmus? Here it is. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. 
And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. That's the spirit of the Antichrist. So, so helpful. Okay, I'm going to give you my second principle. It's on the screen. I want you to think about this. Heresy always begins with a distortion of the identity of Jesus. That's how it always begins. Every Christian heresy always begins with a departure away from the true identity of Jesus. That's how important Jesus Christ is. So it always comes back down to the truth of Jesus. What you believe about Jesus affects everything else. It's like it has implications for everything else about your theology. It's like you start with the identity of the person of Christ and then there's like a ripple effect and it just ripples out to every other part of your theology. Have you ever taken a rock and thrown it into the middle of a pond that is like glass, like water skier style glass, you know? Water skiers love it. Have you ever taken a pebble and you throw it right out into the middle and you go, it goes blink, and then there's this ripple effect? John says, that's what it is with Jesus. Jesus, the identity of Jesus Christ is at the very center of all Christian theology. I once heard a pastor say, tell me what you really believe about Jesus Christ and I'll tell you 95% of the rest of your theology because he's like at the very center. He's the hub. But not only that, Jesus, what John's going to show us here is that Jesus is the key to any true knowledge about God. Knowledge about God's world, knowledge about who God is. Philosophers call this epistemology. How do you know anything? John says, the only way that you come to know anything about God is through the person of Jesus Christ. That's how we know God. Now, please pay attention to what I'm about to say. This is really important, but it's a little bit, it's a little bit abstract. Think about this. How is it that a person comes to any true knowledge about who God is? How does a person come to that knowledge? Do, do we figure that out? on our own, using our cognitive faculties and our power of reason and our power of deduction or induction? Do we think and philosophize and, and work our way up to a knowledge of who God really is? Of course not. The only way that people come to know anything about God is that God comes down. God comes down and he reveals himself. And what John wants us to see is that the, the person who is the representative of the full deity of God is Jesus Christ, the incarnation, this incredible mystery of the Christian faith, the, the blending of the full deity of God with the full humanity of a person in the God-man, Jesus Christ. John says, that's how you come to know something about God. That's why the identity of Jesus is so critical in every teaching. Here's a couple verses that you can write down. I'm just going to put them on the screen. Here's John 1.14. John, who wrote this book, also wrote in John 1.14, he said, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory 
as the only Son and the Father full of grace and truth. John says, this is who Jesus is. The Word, the, the eternal divine Word became flesh. The incarnation, he dwelt among us, and that's how it is that we've seen the full glory of the Father. That's how you know God. You know God through the person of Jesus. The writer of Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, says, Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He, that is the son, Jesus Christ, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. So throughout the New Testament, the New Testament writers are driving home the key to knowing anything about God. And the key to knowing anything about the ways of God always begins with Jesus Christ, the God-man, fully divine, fully human, put together the incarnation. That's why. Look at verse 2. John says, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses, not just Jesus. Lots of teachers talk about Jesus. The question is, which Jesus are they talking about? Lots of religions talk about Jesus. The question is, when they say the name Jesus, what is the person that they have in their mind? Who are they thinking about? Because John says, the Jesus that I'm talking about is the Christ who came in the flesh, the incarnate Christ. Did you know that in the history of the church, almost every single heresy goes back to the incarnation. It's amazing. That is the, that is the doctrine that is the departure point for false teaching. And it's been that way from the beginning, the incarnation, because it's so critical. I had a professor at Western Seminary named Gary Brashears who wrote a book about doctrine, and he talks about this. And he says, in the history of the church, they heresies either went one direction or the other. Either they, they denied the humanity of Jesus or they went in the other direction and they, and they denied the divinity of Jesus. And if you go in either direction, you start to depart from the biblical Jesus, which is critical for knowing anything about God. So Gary Brashears writes, the denial of the full humanity of Jesus has been done by heretics such as Get ready for a long list of really big words, okay? The Ibionites, the Socinians, the Servicites, the Nestorians, Modalists, Monarchianists, Sabellianists, Unitarians, Social Gospel Proponents, Death of God Theologians, Liberal Christians, Arians, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, Functionalists, Adoptionists, Canonics, Apollinarians, and most recently by Dan Brownians and all fans of the Da Vinci Code, right? but the denial of the full humanity of Christ. And then he goes on and he, and, he, and he lists a bunch of different other heresies. And all of them have to do with the identity of Jesus. Fully divine, fully man. Another professor just wrote a book. I'm recommending this book. I'll put the cover up. This is by a professor named Todd Miles. This book is really cool. It's called Superheroes Can't Save You, okay? And, and the subtitle is Epic Examples of Historic Heresies. 
And what he does is he takes a bunch of different heresies and he shows you how a current superhero is like a great example of that. So Superman is chapter one. And Superman is the example of Jesus who's fully divine, but he's actually not really human. And then chapter two is about Batman who's actually fully human, but not really divine. He's just a wealthy multi-billionaire, right? And then you say, who would win, Batman or Superman? And these are the things we talk about. But we all know Batman would not win, right? He goes on, the Hulk is in there, Green Lantern is in there, you know? Anyway, read it, it's a great book. But the point is, it always begins with the identity of Jesus. Isn't that interesting? And so you say, okay, what should I do, pastor? Let me tell you what to do. Become so in love with Jesus Christ. Become so focused on him. Learn as much as you possibly can about the Christ of scriptures. That anytime you hear anyone say something that seems slightly off about Jesus, you'll know it. I once heard that in the world of counterfeit money, the American Banking Association back in the beginning when they were training tellers to look for counterfeits, you know what they did? They never showed them a counterfeit bill once. All they did is they put real money in front of them and they just said, study this, study this, imprint this on your brain so that the second you see a counterfeit bill, you'll know that it's a counterfeit. Isn't that great? I love that. And I say, so it is with Jesus Christ. That's why in our church, some of my favorite songs that we sing are these full gospel songs in Christ alone, where we basically just sing the entire gospel. We're going to sing that later. I requested it. Okay. We're going to sing that song. How deep the father's love. Do you know why I love that song? Because it's a full gospel song. Every verse taking you to a beautiful aspect of the true identity of Jesus as he's lifted up in the scriptures. So many wonderful songs that we sing. This is why you'll notice in our church when we preach, we preach through the scriptures. And we let the New Testament and the Old Testament writers dictate the pattern, the flow, the thinking, because we know when we're, as I'm lifting up what John wrote to you, you can know this is not coming from Pastor Adam. This is coming from John who was inspired by the Holy Spirit to tell me something about Jesus, right? Isn't that good? And so we come and we open our Bible and we study Christ and we focus on Christ and we learn as much as we can about Jesus. And then what happens is it raises your discernment level. And then you hear a teacher and that teacher sounds compelling, and it sounds new or fresh and maybe they're extremely winsome and they're really gifted. But the more that you listen, you start to realize, I don't hear that person taking me back to the scriptures that often. I don't hear that person talking that much about Jesus as if Jesus is the ultimate hero of everything that she's talking about or he's talking about. And you start to go, I'm feeling a little concerned about this. That is a good feeling. Listen to it. Here's principle number three, and this will lead us to communion. So important. It's going to sound a little weird, but I think you'll get it once I say it. Spiritual discernment is not a me thing. It's a we thing. Not small, 
us, okay? <laughs> it's a we thing. Here's what I mean by this. You get this. John's saying, I'm not, I'm not thinking so much about you as an isolated individual person and your ability to discern things. I'm talking to you as the community of Jesus Christ, the gathered church. This is the context. Every letter, we talk about this in the church a lot. Every letter that is written is written to a community. So when we make a mistake sometimes if we read it, over-interpret it individualistically. All of the times that John says you in this passage, if we were in Texas, we would translate it y'all because it's plural. He's not saying you individual person. He's saying you, the church, and every verb that John states is in the plural. So when John says, test the spirits, he's not even saying it necessarily to you as an individual Christian. He's saying, this is something that the church does together. This is a community thing. John would say, you need to be a part of a really strong gospel-centered church in order to discern teaching that is not strong and gospel-centered. And in fact, the more that a person begins to isolate themselves from Christian community, the more susceptible they become to bad theology. Can I get an amen about that one? Is that true? How does a wolf take out a sheep? He looks for the one who's wandered away from the flock. If you pay attention, one of the things you'll notice is that false teachers often function best in environments or platforms that are just slightly disconnected from a good, strong, healthy local church. And so John says, this discernment that I'm talking about, this is something we do together. Now look at verse four, and this will lead us to communion. When John says, little children, you are from God and you've overcome them. For he who is in you, do you see that you? We just underline that and write, y'all. <laughs> John says, he who is in you, the church, is greater than he who is in the world. Christ dwells in his church. There's safety in the community of Jesus. There's victory in the community of Jesus. Christ is here. I love this verse because what it's telling me is, the reason why I can be assured that God has a hold of us and that we are, and that we are safe and that the reason that we can have discernment is because Christ is in us. Christ is dwelling here. And as we teach from the scriptures and as we worship Jesus, he's overcome things that would be a threat to his people. And so John says, stay locked into community. Stay locked into a healthy church. Be a part of relationships with other Christians. If you hear something out there and you're wondering about it, don't try to discern it on your own. Talk about it with someone. Ask someone in the church. Ask a leader. Ask a pastor. Ask a community group, community group leader. Hey, what do you think about this? And wait and stay connected to a church community. John says, when that happens, Jesus Christ dwells in the church and he's overcome all that spiritual evil, all those adversaries. Beautiful. And then what we do every Sunday morning when we gather is we come to the table. And you know what we do when we come to the table? One of the things we do 
is we celebrate the true identity of Jesus. The incarnate Christ, God in the flesh. The gospel says that Jesus of Nazareth came into the world through the work of the Holy Spirit so that he was fully divine and he lived this perfect life, a life that you and I could never live. And one of the reasons he was able to live a perfect life is because he was fully God and fully human. And then he died a perfect death, a death that you and I could never die. He died it in our place. And the reason that death was powerful to deal with human sin was because he was fully divine and fully human. And communion is that moment when we celebrate it. The bread and the cup represent the actual human body of Jesus, the God-man, so powerful. We celebrate that. We remember it. We pound it into our hearts and our minds. And then God uses it to send us out into the world as discerning followers of Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that good? We're going to do that this morning. We're going to go to the table. Will you bow your heads with me? I'll say a prayer and we'll worship and go to the Lord's table. We thank you, Father, so much for your word. We feel loved, God, by you when you warn us about things. You wouldn't warn us if you didn't love us. And so thank you. Thank you for inspiring John to write this passage. Thank you that it's been preserved for us, Lord, through the ages. Thank you that when we read your scripture, we have this sense in our hearts that what we're hearing is from you, from your heart, from your wisdom, Lord God. And so we celebrate it today. Pray that as a church, we would continue to do what we've always done, which is open the scriptures, lift up the gospel of Jesus, worship Jesus, talk about Jesus, Lord, and follow him. That's our prayer. And we pray together now in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen.